And what turn, it turns out is your epigenome, the systems that control your DNA, uh, are under uh, the control of how we live, how much sleep we have, uh, how stressed we are uh, mentally, uh, and how fit we are, certainly. Fitness uh, is a main part of it. And the interesting thing about all of this is I'm a, a biologist, right? And I've been studying things as small as a few atoms, studying enzymes and all this stuff from the ground up. And we've worked our way up this hierarchy of what's controlling aging, what's causing aging. And we worked our way up and we, we found out that what was actually controlling all of that was exercise mm -hmm. and diet and chemicals in our food that people have accidentally found correlate with long life and health. Uh, so that's, we're in an era where people like me at the molecule level are now agreeing and helping explain why uh, people like nutritionists and fitness trainers tell us to do certain things. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today I'm incredibly, incredibly honored to have Dr. David Sinclair on the show, who's a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School, also the best-selling author of the book Lifespan. He's one of the leading innovators of his generation, has been named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world and top 50 most influential people in healthcare. And he's a board member of the American Federation for Aging Research and has received more than 35 awards for his research and major scientific breakthroughs. Dr. Sinclair, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Oh, Doug, it's great uh, that you're having me on. It's a real honor. and uh, Yeah, I was looking forward to meeting you. So thanks again. Yeah. So like real quick, like, so like we're in the, the middle of this pandemic, everyone's kind of in quarantine. And I know one of your big things you're into is getting outdoors for the mind, getting outdoors to improve your health. Like how, how has that been adjusted for you with the, with the lockdown? Are you doing anything differently? Are you able to get outside or what you got going on? Well, this has been... You know, there's a lot, lot of ups and downs. Um, you and I, uh, as we're, we've been getting to know each other, we, we've been talking about how this pandemic and the lockdown for a lot of us have expressed itself in very different ways and a lot of good things, and a lot of bad things. One of the best things about this pandemic for me is, uh, so I used to spend probably three days a week on airplanes, uh, which most of it I didn't enjoy. Now I'm at home, I'm you know, getting to be the dad I always wanted to be, hanging out with the kids going for long walks. Uh, we've come down to Cape Cod, which is you know, beaches everywhere. It's pretty secluded. Um, so that's been fantastic. And also, because I was so tired from working and flying, I didn't either have time or the energy to go to the gym more than once a week. Uh, and I do that with, with my son, Ben, who uh, is uh, my best friend. And now we get to do that three, four times a week. Mm -hmm. So it's really been, it's been really great in that regard. And, and I feel like a Sarah Connor out of uh, you know Terminator 2 that the zombies are coming and I'm doing these chin-ups getting yeah, yeah. ready for COVID because I'm not old but I'm not young anymore either I'm 50 uh, and so I also want to be a good role model for everybody getting into shape when I can. 
Yeah, you're you're right. And I think, you know, having these opportunities to look at the blessings in the storm, I think is what's going to help a lot of people get through this. I think we have a choice in our mind how we approach every situation, how we respond. And, you know, as you know about my journey, the last time I really went through a ton of adversity was when I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. And I had a choice in how I was going to respond after that. And now I think we're all kind of in a place where we have no other option than to see the good in what's happening. And for you, what I'm hearing is that you've got more time now with your kids, you're, you're, you're moving more, you're resting more. And, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating about your journey, your story, and what you're doing right now is this whole thing of notion of aging. And I know, you know, your parents were both incredibly busy when you were younger and you spent a lot of time with your grandmother. And I remember her saying something along the lines that she never wanted for you to never grow old. Right. Was that something that really inspired you to want to get into like changing the game and how we see aging? Yeah, it, it was. I, I mean, it certainly helped that she told me that I was God's gift to earth. And for a while I believed it. Um, I'm certainly not that way, but, but when you're a kid and someone tells you, you can do anything that you want in the world, uh, you believe it. Right. And, and I think that's been part of my story is that, I, I really, I still believe that if you find a goal and you get up every day and do your best and learn uh, and repeat that a few thousand times, you're going to probably get there. And that's what I've done in my life. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, um, but I am pretty determined when I set a goal. And that's what she taught me. The other thing that she taught me was be generous. Um, she saw World War II and the aftermath in, in Hungary. It was tough. I mean, she grew up with barely anything to eat, you know, birdseed, that kind of stuff. And uh, and I was this kid in the 1970s who had everything. She lavished me with praise and goods. I had every Star Wars figurine. Unfortunately, I didn't keep them. But, you know, I was that kind of kid. And she'd tell me stories uh, about how bad humanity can be, mm. where people can march into your house and just take your parents if they want to. And I thought, and she told me, David, you have to make the world a better place. Show humanity, it can be better than that. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do with my life in the time that I've got, got here. Yeah, I think it's really amazing that you say that because I think what we need in our life is somebody to believe in us, even at a time we, not, we might not believe in ourselves, right? For you, it was your grandmother. And for me, it was my cellmate. And I think even right now, as we're going through these tough times, we need people that believe in us because there's a lot of people that just don't believe in themselves. They've lost their job. Their life is pivoted. They're going through um, relationship troubles, whatever it is. And I think there's no better thing to do than to take care of our bodies, right? Because obviously aging is a huge part of adversity. And this podcast is all about adversity. And when we age, when men age, they lose muscle mass, they lose their hair. Um, you know, their confidence changes in women. Obviously there's the premenopause menopause, post-menopause, they have hormonal changes as well. Like, do you really believe, do you believe that like aging in the way we age itself, it comes down to, it comes down to genetics or what you, I mean, what I'm guessing, what you've learned is it's more about lifestyle, right? Mm. Well, that's the surprising thing. I'm a trained geneticist. So you'd think that I'd be all for the genes. And we used mm. to say that your destiny is in your DNA. That's what we thought. Right. Um, but we actually, we missed a large part of what's going on inside our bodies. We don't just have DNA in, in the form of the genome, the chemical DNA, but we also have systems that control 
how that DNA is used in our body, and that's the epigenome. And that turns out to be more important in our lives than the DNA. Um, and when you study identical twins, uh, people have done this in Denmark, uh, the amount that you inherit from your parents in terms of predictability of your long-term health and lifespan, it's around 20%, which is shockingly low, right? You'd think that most of it was from your parents, but it's not. And what turn, it turns out is your epigenome, the systems that control your DNA, uh, are under uh, the control of how we live, how much sleep we have, uh, how stressed we are uh, mentally, uh, and how fit we are, certainly. Fitness uh, is a main part of it. And the interesting thing about all of this is I'm a, a biologist, right? And I've been studying things as small as a few atoms, studying enzymes and all this stuff from the ground up. And we've worked our way up this hierarchy of what's controlling aging, what's causing aging, and we worked our way up and we, we found out that what was actually controlling all of that was exercise mm -hmm. and diet and chemicals in our food that people have accidentally found correlate with long life and health. Uh, so that's, we're in an era where people like me at the molecule level are now agreeing and helping explain why uh, people like nutritionists and fitness trainers tell us to do certain things. Yeah, what I love about you and what you talk about in your book is that it's like all the stuff I tell people about, you know, intermittent, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of intermittent fasting, which I know you're a big advocate of that too. I'm a big advocate of obviously watching what you eat, moving, getting outside that we all know is like, helps us to improve our health. But I think people sometimes, they don't believe it until they see it. And sometimes it takes that data and the, the trials and the research backed evidence that helps and what you've done with, with your work is amazing. And what I, what I really like is that your perspective on, we should have our exercise and the way we treat ourselves like part of our personal hygiene. Like if you're going to brush your teeth, why don't you go outside and go for a walk? If we're going to wash our hair, why don't we like go out and go for a hike? So like what specifically about exercise like impacts um, the way we can really live like longer, like what, like what is it a certain intensity of it? Is it a time? Like what part of it is, is most important? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the first thing to remember, which is annoying, but true, uh, is that we're all different, right? Uh, but there are some generalized rules, but you still have to find out what works for your body type for sure. Uh, and that's true for fasting. It's true for what we eat. Uh, and what's perfect for me may not be perfect for everybody, but there are some generalized rules for sure. Uh, and we know this from not just from my work studying little old mice, but from studying tens of thousands of people throughout their lives. Uh, and so what we can say is that um, you need to do a combination of fitness. Um, it's not enough to go and bench press and think you're done. Mm -hmm. It's really you've got to put your entire body through what we call hormesis, uh, which is the term for what doesn't kill you makes you live longer. And uh, it's really the hormesis, the idea is you want your body to think that it's under threat, that it could die next week. <clears throat> so now you, you, you would understand why fasting does the same thing. Your body says, crap, I'm running out of food. I'll fight, I'll, I'll sustain my body, I'll fix things better. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, uh, so exercise, um, so what do I do? Um, I should do more of it, but certainly the high intensity interval training, get your breath up. If you cannot carry out a conversation, you know, you're doing it right. Hypoxia is good. Your body doesn't like hypoxia. It'll build up new blood vessels, build up more mitochondria for energy. Um, the way I do it typically is 
because I'm fairly, uh, I wouldn't say lazy, but I'm busy, is I, I do sled pushing, either a real sled or on a treadmill. You know, you can set it so you just run. That almost kills me. I'm, you know, I'm 50 and I'm thinking my heart's going to pop out of my chest at the end of that session. It only goes for about 20 minutes. Um, so that's my high intensity. But anything that gets your breath up for, for at least 15 minutes every other day is, is, a, is a good start. Right. You, you can run further if you've got time. That's certainly true. I would just be wary of the pounding on your knees all the time or, or sports that you can end up having to replace joints later in life. That's uh, something you see in your friends at you know, age 50 and 60. They're getting hip and knee replacements. So be careful with that. Don't do it too, too much. But then the other thing is uh, a lot of weights. So I have a gym here. My son and I, we work out uh, for at least an hour for three, four times a week. Um, and it, when you do, I used to do one day a week and I was barely building up my muscle. Now I've got a three, four days a week. It's, it's really noticeable just in the COVID pandemic. My son and I are now double the strength we used to be. That's amazing. And what, what I like about that and what you're sharing is you actually practice what you preach. Like, I think, um, a lot of people, um, get caught up in the healthcare system and questioning things. Cause we go in and there's overweight doctors, there's overweight nurses that are given medical advice and it's hard to take people serious seriously whether it's not like judging them it's just hard like anything else if you haven't if you're not walking in my shoes like how can you understand what i'm going through right and i love that you're actually practicing everything you say in your book as truth and i 100 percent agree um that what doesn't kill you like really makes you stronger like i believe that the reason I love the whole comparison of working out to adversity is because to build a bigger muscles, you have to literally tear down that muscle, those muscle fibers until failure. And then they rebuild and regrow into something bigger and stronger. And the same with life. Like whenever we get hit some point of adversity or some tough time, we fail at something and most people will fall down. They might stay down, but the ones that really succeed get back up and are like, you know what, what did I learn from this? How can I get better and stronger? Talk about a time like you've, I'm sure in your 50 now, you've obviously, you know, came from Australia. You're now a professor at Harvard Medical School. You've written, you know, the number one best-selling book in genes on Amazon, which is amazing. Like what lesson, what would be like, an, what was, what are some of the top lessons you've learned in your life through the amount of adversity that you've had to overcome to get where you are today? Right. Well, it really is true that um, every successful person uh, has had times where, you know, an average person would have been crushed. Uh, There's no way to be successful without massive amounts of adversity and criticism and failure and mistakes. No one's perfect and no one has the answer to everything. And especially if you're pushing boundaries, uh, there's no playbook, right? You're making it up as you go along and you will fail. Personally, I've had many times in my life where uh, I've wanted to quit. Uh, I didn't think I was that resilient. As a kid, I was pretty sensitive and pretty down as a a kid. Um, What I've learned actually is that as I get older, I get better. I get a lot stronger. I'm like the muscle that's been, uh, you know, fatigued and and ripped. I am this massively strong muscle. Uh, And now if you tear at me, I come back stronger. Um, and by the time you're 50, I think, I don't know if anyone's listening or many of your listeners are 50 yet, <clears throat> but it's an awesome age. I can pull on times in my life, which were so bad. I, I would come home 
uh, and, and my wife would say, how was your day? And this is the truth. I would say, and feel this, nobody died today. It was a great day, right? <laughs> and if that, that's your level, uh, then, then every, about, just about every day of your life is an awesome day. Mm. And you've got to be appreciative of that. I'll give one example of, of a tough time in my, you know, we all have family, you know, and I watched my mom die in front of me. That was tough. But career-wise, uh, I, I almost was taken out of my job. Uh, I almost lost my job. I almost lost my whole reputation, which for a scientist is everything, right? We don't do this for the money. Uh, so what happened was we did some really interesting science. I was 34 and we published that this molecule in red wine called resveratrol activates a longevity enzyme called CERT1. And it was surprising because most enzymes don't get activated. They get inhibited by molecules. And it seemed too easy and too good to believe. And there's a lot of skepticism, which is fine. Your scientists are allowed to be skeptical. That's their job. Uh, but there was a big patent fight. Uh, we filed a patent that covered every possible activator at Harvard. Um, and then uh, some pharmaceutical companies got upset. Uh, and um, I'll name them. I'm, I'm not scared to say this. You know, Pfizer scientists and some other at Amgen came out with a paper seven years later and said, everything that I'd published on that topic, including a company that I'd started and gone into clinical trials and raised tens of millions of dollars for that, uh, was wrong. It was all based on a mistake and that everything that David had gotten in terms of credit, money, success was built on a lie. And it was a very public shaming in the newspapers, in the top scientific journals, they had pictures of me in there. Uh, and here I had spent my life dedicated to helping humanity. And I got basically punched in the face, uh, knocked out. I went to bed and I didn't want to get out of bed. It was, it was pure depression. And my attitude was F the world. If I dedicate myself every day, killing myself, barely seeing my kids as much as I want to help people. And this is how it ends up. Why do I bother? Mm -hmm. I may as well just go to wall street. Uh, but what I learned was that you can't just quit. It's worse to quit in the end, right? How can you live with yourself if you just give up? Uh, and so out of some grit uh, and knowing that I couldn't stay in bed for the rest of my life, I got out of bed, went back to the lab, rallied the troops and said, let's, let's see if they're right. Let's pull out some old data, see what's going on. And if they're right, they're right. But, you know, I want to die before I know who, uh, you know, I'm not going to my grave with this not being fixed or solved. And you know what, about half the lab, and I had about 15 to 20 people at that point, said, we're done. We're done. The field is over. David, your career is toast. We're getting out of here. They abandoned me. These are my students. One guy in particular was just abusive. Um, there was one guy, one student, whose name is Basil Hubbard. God love him. Uh, he said, I'm a scientist. I'm going to investigate this. I think what is happening is the difference between their experiments and our experiments is telling us something important. Uh, maybe instead of the glass being half empty, it's actually half full and that we'll learn things. So anyway, three years later, we solved 
the problem. And it turned out that uh, it was a very finicky way to do the experiment and it was easy to make it not work. But also what we learned was that the cell was more complicated than we thought. And that if you don't do it just the way the cell does it, uh, then you, it won't work in the test tube. Um, and so we published that 2013 and it was right. It, you know, now we're seven years later, so I can declare that we were right uh, and we've gone on to do bigger and better things. Uh, but yeah, the moral of the story is you will get punched in the face and you'll feel knocked out, uh, but your life will not be any better if you don't stand up and just get back on and get into the fight. Um, and that's what you got to keep doing. And it never ends. I'm 50 and I'm getting hit all the time. Uh, and you just got to keep going. And the winners in the end are those that get back up as fast as possible and learn from these mistakes. Yeah. And I, I never knew that. I mean, I know, I know something that your claim to fame or something that helped was your studies on the reserve at all and, and, and the red wine and what you found, but I didn't know about that whole saga with battling with the pharmaceutical companies and your reputation on the line, all that. And kudos to you for bouncing back now even stronger and sticking by your guns, um, getting back up, you know, writing this amazing book. And what I was going to ask you is like, do you get, I'm sure you get a lot of pushback, right. From other geneticists, from like what you're saying on like aging and health. Like, I mean, like, cause you're coming out saying what everybody needs to freaking say right now is that, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that we have a system right now that's, it's not healthcare, it's sick care. That we're putting band-aids on problems, saying, hey, take this medication, take this medication, take this, take that, take this prescription and kind of leave and I'll see you in 90 days. Where we're not addressing the underlying issues. We're not addressing the fact that this person has, you know, eats like junk food every day and just sits on the couch. We're not addressing the fact that this person um, isn't managing their stress well. So like what kind of pushback have you gotten in your field on this because i'm sure people are like at you all the time being like you know what let's keep this under wraps stop sharing this have you gotten stuff like that oh yeah all the time all the time it never ends actually i get emails from colleagues saying you can't say that don't say that even from people who support my lab with donations they watch mm. what i say and they're listening and they'll they'll come and they'll say didn't like it when you said this or that mm. you know uh, so I'm I'm being watched. I'm watched. I'm watched by my university all the time. Um, and one one hard thing is that either I'm misquoted or those uh, sensationalist newspapers, particularly in the UK, just make stuff up um, mm. and people believe it. Uh, and so that's really hard uh, to deal with. So what do I do? You know, I try to be as honest, as truthful, um, and as tra transparent as I can. I'm a, a very weird scientist. Most scientists are very cautious and secretive. Whereas I've always made my data available as we discover it to colleagues. I've never had anyone sign what's called a material transfer agreement, which most scientists do to protect what they've made. I think humanity is all in this together. Uh, we're trying to solve big problems and we need to work together on this. So that's my philosophy. Mm. But other scientists don't like me. They don't like that I come on podcasts. They don't like that I write books. It's, sell out right uh, but what i'm trying to do is to be uh, as honest and as educational as i can because what what we had for most of the 20th century in the first 10 years of the 21st was you got your information mainly through newspapers and and websites and that was it 
And so you really didn't get to know a scientist. You didn't really hear what they did or how they felt or how it happened. It was just a stupid headline. Sinclair says, we're all going to live to 150, blah, blah, bullshit. And then uh, right. excuse my language. No, you're fine. Um, and I got totally frustrated with that because I, I'm actually at the point where I don't talk to reporters anymore from newspapers because I've never had a story written about my work that was correct. Mm. It was totally frustrating. So this is why I love new media, like being able to talk to you, Doug. This is uh, direct. I'm not going to be misquoted. Right. Um, if I say something wrong, I, I own it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, and the co- colleagues, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty upset. You know, calling aging a disease is something a medical school doesn't want to hear about because they're built on whack-a-mole medicine, which is mm-hmm. we'll treat you when you get sick uh, and we'll keep giving you medicine and out the door, in the door, out the door, and just repeat until failure. Um, and they're not, they're not generally paid well for prescribing things that prevent disease. A very good case in point is metformin. It's the type two diabetes drug that most patients go on. It's a derivative of a compound molecule from a flower, French lilac. And so it's it's a very safe drug. It's on the world's list of essential medicines. And uh, most people can tolerate it. One in 10,000 has an adverse reaction, but as far as drugs go, it's very safe. And we also have a lot of evidence, not proof, but a lot of evidence that if you give metformin early before you get diabetes, It'll protect you against getting diabetes and cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's and frailty. Tens of thousands of people, in fact, a diabetic who goes on metformin has less chance of getting cancer than a person that never got diabetes. Wow. Amazing, right? Yeah. So that to me and my co- many of my colleagues say di- di- uh, metformin is likely to be a- a- an available anti-aging or longevity molecule that ramps up our defenses, the hormesis, without, or just put it in a pill, exercise in a pill, great stuff. But what, what would happen if say you went to your doctor and said, I'm heading towards type two diabetes. I can see the trend line. I'm going to get it. My father had it, but I'm not yet diabetic. Can I have some metformin? What's their answer? No, no, you, right. you can't have it. You're not over the threshold that the insurance companies and the medical profession says, I'm allowed to give you that medicine. Mm-hmm. It's craziness. So when I come out and I say, let's treat aging as a disease, uh, for most of uh, my colleagues, I'm, I'm a heretic for saying such things. When to me, it's just obvious. And metformin is a very relatively safe and very cheap drug. It's a few cents a day. Think of how many lives we could potentially save if people you know, in their 50s who don't yet have diabetes, but probably will get it, go on, to, on metformin and potentially get another five healthy years of life. So those are the crazy things. To me, in my book, you can tell I'm very passionate about this. It's right in front of us. The most obvious, biggest impact we can have on healthcare and the economy, by the way. We're spending 17 to 20% of our healthcare uh, costs on the elderly. uh, And we've got some medicines that we think that could reduce that. So I'm trying to shout from the rooftops. And fortunately, more and more people are listening. Yeah, I think there's a lot more people that are currently waking up and opening their eyes to seeing that, you know, it's just no secret that we're getting fatter, mental illness has gone up, all these things, and it's all impacting, obviously, our aging. People are dying from heart disease, heart attacks, you know, suicide, all these things that are caused by us not being proactive with our health, right? And what I love is that you get into... What, like I said at the beginning, what we already kind of know, you know, 
eating less than like eating, you know, moving more than you eat and, you know, fasting and uh, movement and getting outside, like all these things that we, we already should know. It's just a matter of getting the data behind it to prove it. So one of the things I want to talk about is fasting because I fast pretty much every day from, I would say at least 16 hours. Sometimes I'll go between 16 to 20 hours, depending on the day. Um, I got really into it probably about six, seven years ago. Um, the guy I was following, um, he was a PhD, I believe in nutrition, Dr. John Berardi. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, but, and I just got really into the science of it and like how it can, you know, help reverse diabetes and how it can help with, you know, your mood and all these things. So it's a buzzword. Fasting is like all over the place. I see all kinds of people fasting. A lot of people are doing it for weight loss and they're doing it, you know, for certain reasons. Like what's the science say about like why it's so beneficial for us? I mean, I think it's important for somebody to know like from an actual like scientific background. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Uh, we, we know a lot now. Now there are these longevity genes, some of which we worked on in my lab, but the, the three main ones you should know about, uh, there's one called mTOR, little mTOR, mm-hmm. and that senses how many amino acids are being taken in. Uh, and if you restrict some amino acids, at least animals live longer. And, and, and when you fast, that's part of what's going on. mTOR is protecting the cells and rebuilding things. Another one called AMP kinase, or short for AMPK. And that's the one that metformin will Uh, in part activate Um, and you get more energy you get more mitochondria and part of the way it works is it it tricks the body into thinking it doesn't have enough energy and so that ramp up metabolism and the third group are the ones that i work on called sirtuins there are seven of those genes and they make enzymes Um, the first one we just talked about resveratrol activates that sirt1 enzyme Um, there are seven of course now all those seven need a molecule called nad the full name is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And it's just a little chemical that's used for reactions in the body. But also the sirtuins sense the levels of NAD. And when times are tough, they go up. And that's the signal for the sirtuins to protect the body and, and to protect the epigenome. Remember, that was part of the reason we age in the first place. These are regulators of the epigenome. So long story short, when you exercise, what you're doing is playing or triggering these defenses so that they're more active. And they will go and they'll repair broken DNA better. They'll fix uh, misfolded and and aged and damaged proteins. Uh, They might even lengthen your telomeres a bit. They'll give cells, um, make your stem cells reproduce. These are all great things for the body. Now, the opposite is to always be feeling satisfied or full. 
So this three meals a day plus snacks, in my view, is insanity. And I mean, unless you have an eating disorder, but for regular people who are always snacking, I think that that's misguided for most people. Mm. Um, and exercise, of course. So what, what we've done in a modern society is we've said, oh, I'm, I'm, my brain loves the feeling of being relaxed, sitting down, eating snacks, reward center, right? But then what you're doing is sacrificing your body's ability to fight disease because your body gets the feeling or the, the, the message, hey, I got enough food. I don't have to run away from a saber-toothed tiger. Times are good. I will relax. And all of these defensive modes that are in us switch off. And the NAD levels go down. The sirtuins don't do their job as well. And that's why if you're obese, you don't exercise, you don't just look older you literally are older we can measure this in the lab it's a it's easy now to measure your biological age um, and you can have a 65 year old that my my father was telling me about who's got diabetes he's obese he's had a foot removed at 65 are you kidding my father's turning 81 soon and the guy's climbing mountains and feeling like he did when he was 30. that's the difference if you take care of yourself throughout your life yeah, it's amazing like, to to see like what the research is now showing in that, yeah, this whole idea that you have to eat a certain way, three meals a day and snacks and like, who's that really benefiting? The food market, right? Because if you look at like, even on the end caps of all the grocery stores, it's not the fruits and vegetables, it's snacks, it's cereal, it's stuff that's being like streamlined into our minds to eat. Like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And now what we're finding is, well, not necessarily, it's what you eat. So like, is there specific foods people should eat when they break their fast that's known to maybe stabilize their blood sugar more or for their brain? Because I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot of different things that people are wondering like what to do. Is there any, any research behind that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot and a lot more is coming out. Um, I have a, a newsletter, which uh, maybe uh, Doug, you can post uh, for the updates. And I'm also on social media. Uh, of course, on my book around page 304, I talk about what I do. So what, what I find is very good is, uh, to, for me, skipping breakfast is a no-brainer. Right. Uh, I've measured my blood sugar levels. You can get a little patch you stick onto and into your skin. I know that my body has enough sugar in the blood. I don't feel hungry in the morning. Mm. I never have. It's more of a habit. So, you know, I'm sitting here with my coffee. I like hot drinks. It's a habit. Um, feels good to, to fill up my stomach. Uh, but I don't need calories. So I, I also, like you, I, I try to also have a late lunch or skip it. If I'm busy, usually I can easily do that. If I'm at home, it's a little harder with a fridge nearby. But the type of foods that you want to eat are the, you know, we, we all know about low glycemic index foods, but that's, that's true. You don't want these big spikes of sugar because what's going to happen is you're going to get hungry afterwards. Mm. And if, you, if, you are, if you're fasting and skipping breakfast, skipping lunch and having or eating a late lunch, and then you're starving, or in the morning you're starving, you know, you just can't think about anything else but food. If that's what's happening to you, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing intermittent fasting right, you shouldn't feel hungry. Now, admittedly, because there's habits and your brain needs to get used to it, give it a couple of weeks, right? It'll take a while to get over the habit of sticking food in your mouth. But once you're over that, you shouldn't be hungry. I mean, I really feel strange going and eating a big breakfast. Uh, it just doesn't sit right with me. I actually feel bloated and I can't think. Um, so I'm, I'm in, a, in, in heaven with this intermittent fasting. It also means, and I'm curious, Doug, if you find this too, is you can enjoy your meals much more. 
right? Now I can eat a, a perfectly full dinner. I have some wine with it, no guilt. It's great. And I maintain my weight too. Whereas before it was, oh, I had a breakfast, I had a big lunch. Now can I afford to have that soup? I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's more, I think it's more like intuitive eating, right? Like I feel like there's so many people that they feel like they have to do a certain thing. They have to eat at 7 a.m. They have to do this. They have to do that. And what I found like you is like, I'm not hungry. Like, it's almost noon here right now. And I haven't eaten anything since I don't like dinner last night. Right. So, um, yeah, and you have to get used to it. And you also are allowed to like sit down and enjoy your meal more because you're not like trying to cram in food at certain times. You're not like, Oh, I have to, my meal schedule is I have to eat at 8am, 11am. It's like, no, you eat when you have time. And now I have like 40 minutes where I can sit down and eat like a nice meal. So would you say that people should avoid eating like carbohydrates and stuff like that, or just maybe more like stick to like healthy fats and protein? Like what, what do you think is like the secret sauce? Yeah. Uh, well, one secret is, um, don't be too rough on yourself. Right. Um, you know, if you eat one, uh, one thick shake, it's not going to kill you. Uh, but you know, if, as long as you're consistent, it's mm. good. Uh, I gave up desserts after dinner when I was 40. Uh, and it was one of the best things I ever did. So these sugar laden meals are the worst for your body. Uh, sugar in, in itself is problematic because you don't want high levels of sugar. It's, it's of course going to over time lead to diabetes, but the crash is also bad. And I found out the, the, the hard way by looking at myself, I would say, okay, let me try what I've been eating for five years for lunch. So I go down to the cafeteria and I eat sushi. You'd think that the sushi roll with the, the rice would be fine. It was horrendous on my blood sugar levels. And it turns out it's not the fish, of course, it's the rice, the white rice. And I was really hungry a couple of hours later. And I could see my blood sugar go and then drop back down to really, really low levels. You want it to be pretty constant. And that's when you're at your optimum for mental acuity and for longevity. So you so avoid these white carbs, um, you know, processed bread, that kind of stuff. Surprisingly, potatoes aren't that bad. Um, grapes are really bad because they're just pure sugar. Right. And apple I, apple, I find, is perfectly fine if you want something sweet. But yeah, if, you know, what people have been saying about the glycemic index, those foods that will give you a lot of quick sugar in your blood really don't. So I think the best meal is a salad with a bit of olive oil on it. Even vinegar is good, we know, for ramping up your mitochondria. So that's what I do. I, occasionally I eat some meat, especially if I'm working out more than usual. I'm not a strict vegetarian, but I do like to eat vegetables because um, then I find that it doesn't give me that hunger later. It's long lasting. Um, protein is good in small amounts, right? I, I, there's a big debate about should you be pure carnivore, pure vegetarian? Like all things in, in humanity, the truth is in the middle. And mm. um, I mean, most long lived people have focused on vegetables, right? But you can't, I don't think you can be eating a lion's kind of meal every day and expect to live to 100. I just don't think the science bears that out as much as, uh, you know, I'm like everybody I love is a good steak. But having a bit of chicken thrown on a salad is not, certainly not going to kill you either. So also eat green leafy vegetables and colored vegetables. The reason is those molecules that I discovered that activate CERT1, like resveratrol, they have a funny name. They're called xenohormetic molecules. Mm. Now, we know what hormesis is. 
right? What doesn't kill you makes you live longer. Xeno just means you get the signal from a different species. So xenohermetic means if your plants are stressed before you eat them, you'll get the benefit. So you don't have to stress your body physically. Your plants are doing it. Your food's uh, been under adversity. So if you eat plants that uh, have been picked before, uh, well, so there hasn't been a lot of rain recently or they had some bugs on them or even, uh, so some people, apparently they, they put nails into an orange tree a couple of days before you pick the oranges. And they've learned just by practice um, that that makes for a better tasting orange. What's going on is that the tree and the, the lettuce that you might pick from dehydration, certainly grapes and wine, produce these xenohermetic molecules that when you eat them, they'll go throughout your body and turn on the sirtuins, which give you the defenses. One important thing, Doug, I shouldn't forget to tell you is that when you're hungry, uh, when you exercise, remember that molecule NAD that mm -hmm. is the fuel for the sirtuins. When you exercise and you're hungry, NAD levels go up in your body. Now, as you get older, they go down. And as you get older, you make less and less, we think, um, until basically your body doesn't bother anymore. So you got to keep the NAD levels high. Um, and we actually, we actually know that uh, in humans now. We actually are trying trialing a drug that can uh, raise NAD levels in older patients who can't be expected to restrict their food or go on a marathon run. Yeah. I, I, and I think everything you just said, I a hundred percent agree with, you know, eating the foods that are low glycemic, eating tons of vegetables, keeping like the meat consumption low is so important for longevity. If you look at the people who live the longest in other countries, it's following that, like, what's it, the, the blue zone diet, I think, where it's like mainly, you know, vegetables, a little bit of meat, um, you know, olive oil, all that stuff. So I want to get one more thing I want to ask about the fasting is when it comes to exercise. So like, is there a certain window where you should break your fast after you exercise? Cause I think a lot of people, they're like, well, what if I, fa what if I work out in the morning and I don't eat until the afternoon? Is that going to, is that healthy? Is that unhealthy? And, and also the second part of the question, is there a certain, um, time people should be fasting and does it, is it, does it differentiate based on whether you're uh, a male, a male or female? Right. Uh, so I think the most important lesson that I've had is listen to your body. Mm. If it doesn't feel right, if you're really hungry, if you're tired during your workout, mix it up, see what works for you. Um, and so I've honed my own body and the way my body works as a male Caucasian guy is no breakfast, small lunch prior to workout in the afternoon around 2 PM. Mm. Um, and I don't like late workouts and I don't like late meals actually either. Um, I don't know about women so much, less experience and even with mice you know shame on us but we we scientists we typically do our longevity experiments on male mice uh, in part because we can't afford to do both sexes the government doesn't give us twice as much money uh, but we are changing we are doing a lot more females now but historically we don't have a lot of data but i, I think for females too it's the same story if if you find that you're not hungry at night you, you don't get off on dinner then have a breakfast by all means if if you need to but at least skip one meal and try to have skip two on occasions and see how you do uh, and work out when you, I mean, some people like to work out when they're hungry. I don't because you know, I've got enough to, to worry about when I'm working out and I find that I need a bit of sustenance, but I do know other people who, who do feel good when they're hungry and they feel it, it gives them even more power. So yeah, I think that's Doug. What do you think? Does that make sense to listen to your body and see what works? 
Yeah. Listen to your body, see what works. You know, if it's 12 hour fast for some people, it might be 16 hour for the next or 20. I mean, it just depends on like, you know, where you're at and how experienced you are. Right. You certainly don't want to try and just do a commit to doing like a 20 hour fast every single day. If you're used to eating five, six meals a day, you know, it's, it's obviously going to be extremely challenging like anything else to go from this from zero to a hundred. Right. I mean, would I, would I be accurate to say that? Oh yeah. We, well, we know from history uh, that if you try to go on a crash diet, you're going to be the first person to give up. And so you, you work at it and it's, a, it's an evolution. Uh, I didn't get to where I am today just by waking up and changing my whole life. It's been slow uh, and it's so much easier and you can stick to it if you just change small things and then you get used to that and say, okay, that's good. I'm going to try something else. The other thing uh, that's important I find is that you should measure things. Mm. I'm a scientist, so I like to measure probably more than most, but I like to, of course, look at my weight, but I'm also measuring how much I sleep using this uh, aura ring, O-U-R-A, no affiliation to the company, but I do like their stuff, that kind of thing. And I also do blood tests, commercially available blood tests that tell me if I'm doing something new, if it's working or not, how's my liver working, how's my muscle creatine kinase levels, for example. And there have been occasions where I've taken a vitamin, like a vitamin B pill, and thought, that's going to be great. Everyone says take vitamin B pills. My vitamin B went through the roof. For me, I wouldn't have known unless I did a blood test. So that's also important, I think, to get feedback and optimize your body that way too. So what's your view on supplementation as far as, 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 far as it pertains to aging? I mean, I know like the big, there's a big buzz in the fish oil and vitamin D and multivitamin and phytonutrient, like all this stuff. Like what have, if you take any yourself and what have you found has been like helpful in your, in your research, if any? Yeah. Well, so on page 304, I know I keep saying it, but, yeah. but we're not going to get through everything in this podcast. And people right. might want to know. Uh, so I do supplement, um, but I only supplement with things that are, have very good chance of working and also have very little chance of hurting me. Mm. Right? There's no point trying to live longer if you kill your kidneys. Right. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to live forever. I, I really don't care about living much longer. Um, I do again, uh, ro- consider myself a role model and I'm also a scientist so I, I can learn things by studying myself as well um, so supplements I do vitamin D take vitamin D uh, what would it be I think it's 5,000 units so yeah, yeah. medium dose uh, I take fish oil and I I've always taken a bit of fish oil even though the literature goes back and forth on its benefits but what it turned out was that resveratrol Remember the story about how I had to get out of bed and figure out how this resveratrol was working. Now it turns out the enzyme is like a, a, a Pac-Man. Um, resveratrol binds to the back of the Pac-Man. It's chomping along. It turns out fish oil, or at least one of component of fish oil called oleic acid. Um, no, actually it's, it's olive oil. that's even better. It has a lot of oleic acid in it. Uh, it binds the same place resveratrol does and makes the Pac-Man accelerate and chomp more. Um, so I keep taking fish oil for cholesterol and other things, but yeah, I was mixing it with olive oil and now I, I take olive oil more often on my salads and whatever. And I get very fresh olive oil so that it hasn't gone oxidized or rancid. And, uh, so I found a place that sells freshly squeezed olive oil. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, let me list again, uh, vitamin D, uh, olive oil, fish oil, um, oh, I know why I got it confused because I take fish oil with oleic acid supplemented. Okay. Uh, there's a nice brand of that. Um, 
I take Lipitor because my family is on my dad's side has always had really high cholesterol, myself included. I was basically headed for a heart attack at 30 and I'm not kidding. My grandmother had a, a stroke at 30. That's how bad our health is. So I was going to die at 65 probably if I didn't do anything. So people ask me, why do you do all this stuff? Well, you know, I'm not the healthiest of guys genetically. Um, metformin, I take uh, probably every day or every other day, depending on the week. Uh, I, I don't have a prescription. Um, I found that overseas, in many parts of Asia, they you just get it from the pharmacy. It's just a very cheap and safe molecule over there. So uh, NMN. Yeah, so I mean, no, I, what I was going to say is like, it's just interesting to hear even yourself, you're taking medication, you're taking supplements because you know that it's going to help, you know, your longevity is going to increase your health. And you also know, like, you know, your, your, your family history, which also as much as we are, we're talking about lifestyle and lifespan that we do know that it does play a role. It's just not the end all be all right. And, you know, one, the one, the last thing I want to ask you um, is, is talking about stress and, and stress, obviously, they say is it can be like the silent killer. Have what is your view on like the way we like managing stress? Like, what do you do when you're extremely stressed out? And does it in fact really like decrease the amount of time we can live, you know, based on the, the health conditions it can, it can cause? Yeah. Well, when I talk about stress uh, and adversity, uh, I'm, ac- I'm actually talking about um, biological stress. Mm. Uh, what I'm not talking about is psychological stress, which is a very different beast. Uh, psychological stress is very negative. It'll um, cause you to age more quickly. Uh, and it's even been shown that the ends of the chromosomes get shorter, the telomeres, when you're stressed out. So you've got to practice mental hygiene as well. Um, so do a lot of deep breathing. Try not to take life too seriously. Know that you know things are going to get better. Um, Try not to obsess about stuff. Turn off the TV if it's telling you the counts of people who are dead, that kind of thing. You really got to work at it because otherwise, you know, we humans being conscious things, we can really just get into a spiral downward if we don't actively try to focus on the good things in life. And I do that all the time. It's really hard. You got to be every day doing that. Some people like meditation. I, I don't have an ability to do that well. Um, but I know that that works. Yoga is a good one too. For me, my, my mental is, uh, mental hygiene is going to the gym. Yeah. Amen to that as it is for, for me and a lot of other people I know who are getting through this pandemic successfully is that they're keeping a consistent workout routine. So, you know, we only got into uh, bits and pieces of everything you have to offer. Um, obviously your book lifespan is amazing and everything it teaches between you know your findings in your labs how you grew up what you do for yourself and i'm encouraging people who are listening to get the book on audible get the book i have i bought both i have it on audible and i have the hardcover um just because it's like i think i get different feedback when i listen to something versus when i'm reading something so where can more people find out about like the research you're doing and the work you're doing if they're more intrigued about everything uh oh thanks doug uh, yeah, so uh, my book came out in September. Uh, like you said, it, it was a, it was pretty shocking and, and exciting to see it become a New York Times bestseller. Um, so that the book is on sale, right? And uh, the audio book, 
turned out to be really nice too. Um, I read it myself and so you can hear my voice. Mm -hmm. uh, we also put some, uh, some little commentary, right? In the chat yeah, there's, yeah. Remember that? yeah, the commentary. Uh, so I, I had help writing it. I have a really good friend who's a great writer and we, it, it became a wonderful book because he and I were brainstorming and we're, the humor in us brings out the best in us. And so that went into the book and he's, he's got his personality in there too. Um, and there was, so we, in this commentary, we talked about how we wrote the book together. Um, by the way, just a secret between the listeners here uh, and the wall, uh, Matt and I have teamed up to write at least one more book. Um, and so stay tuned for that, but yeah, go get the book audio book. A lot of people like that. Um, the, again, the, the hardcover is a different type of read. There's illustrations. There's a glossary at the back as well. I drew some of the pictures in the book, which was fun. Uh, website. So lifespanbook.com is the place to go and read more about what I've written. I've got blogs. You can sign up for my fortnightly bi-weekly newspaper or newsletter. Um, and yeah, I'm not where all social media is, I'm out there answering questions, um, reading science, COVID as well. We're doing clinical trial with COVID to boost the elderly's survival, hopefully, um, mm. because our molecules don't just slow down aging, they actually boost the immune system, uh, it, it looks like. You know, if there's ever been a good reason to make the elderly younger, now it, now is the time, right? So I'm involved in COVID work as well. Um, in my book, you'll read, I was, unfortunately, I, I was correct in predicting this pandemic. It's quite interesting to read that now uh, about what I was predicting. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm out there. I'm, I'm really in all of the spare time that I have in between running a dozen companies and running this lab at Harvard and innovating in various areas. Uh, I put everything I've got into education and keeping folks who are interested in living longer with me up to date. Amazing. And yeah, I'll definitely put all the links into all that stuff in the show notes. And I once again wanted to really thank you for, for coming on here. Um, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on and, you know, just having the opportunity to speak with you and meet you has been quite an honor. And if I make it up to Boston, I'll have to come. I want to get my biological. I want to know how old I am. I, I, or maybe I don't. I don't want to get up there and you're like, you're like 73, Doug. And I'm like, Ugh. well, it is. It does sound scary, but here's the good thing. Uh, it's it's not determined. Uh, we can see how you're doing and I have to do the test myself. It's a fairly new test. We can see what trajectory you're on. We can predict when we're both going to die pretty accurately. But the good news is that's not fate. It's not your destiny. We can change that, bend the curve. And we're about to publish a paper. Uh, look out for it in, in the coming weeks from my lab where we've actually finally figured out how you can reset the switch and turn back the aging of cells and even the eye and in old mice, we can make them see like they were young again. So this, this clock, we actually can now do that wow. in animals. And the next couple of years, we're going to try to restore vision in people who've lost vision. And that'll be the first test, I believe, of truly resetting the age of the human body. Well, I can't wait to read all about that. I can't wait to get up to Boston one day and visit you. Um, last thing I'll say is one piece of advice you have for somebody going through a tough time in their life right now um, that they could just do this one, maybe this one thing and it could help them just take the next step into to feeling better and, and also living longer. Yeah. Well, so living life is all about having goals and looking forward into the future. I've had my share of depression, um, even 
you know, probably clinically diagnosable. And what happens with depression, in my view, in my experience, is you don't care about the future. You don't have a goal. It's all just a spiral downwards and backwards. So what I found in my life is you've got to set goals. You've got to have something to look forward to and achieve. Set a goal and go for it and be maniacal about it. You've got to stick to it. Get out of bed. Go do whatever you set out to do, whether it's learn a language, learn a new instrument, gain 20 pounds of muscle become the fittest human you can be or go for a walk every afternoon with your partner. These are things get to know your kids better, all those things, but, but set that and don't, don't give up after a few days. If you set it, write it down, put it on the wall on your bathroom mirror and do not stop until you reach that goal. And I promise you, you will feel better. Love it. Love it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Dr. David Sinclair, thank you so much for coming on once again. Listeners, you're going to want to listen to this episode a dozen times. Just all the, the knowledge and research and advice he provided is something that you're going to want to just continue to you know, write down and implement into your life so that you can really you can live longer and you can be healthier. And most of all, that we can be happier with ourselves. So uh, once again, I just want to thank you for the third time for coming on. I know you're busy and I appreciate you. Doug, I appreciate you too for all you do and what you've been through. I think uh, you, you know role models like you are the type of people that, that get up, us all out of bed in the morning too and know that we can go on. Amen to that, man. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. Once again, if you enjoyed this, um, be sure to leave us a review. Reach out to me. Reach out to Dr. Sinclair. Let us know what you thought of the episode. And um, we really appreciate you know, the feedback because we try to bring on guests that just are changing the game, changing the dynamic on how we can improve ourselves to become our best version of ourselves. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.